Jordan, you want to just stay up here and preach? No. Okay. <laughs> we'll work on that. <laughs> All right. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one to follow along in as we dig into First Peter. So if you don't have a Bible this morning, just go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers have Bibles that you can use. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles and you do not have a Bible of your own, Please keep the Bible that you receive. Um, it is a, a delight to be able to be a part of getting God's word out to people. And uh, once again, we had to uh, reorder Bibles uh, for this church again this week. So good problem to have. If we go over a budget on Bibles, I'm totally fine with that. Um, I just want to just repeat one thing that Jordan said while he was up here. Um, I just had to write it down. It wasn't anything we were doing. It was all God. Can we agree to live by that motto? Because as we continue to move through this series on First Peter, and as we continue to talk about the light that God has given us to shine in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and in other settings, this is the thing that is going to help us overcome our fear. The reality that it's not us. It's not going to depend on our strength. It's not going to depend on our intelligence. It's not going to depend on our education. It's not going to depend on any of that. It's not going to depend on our personality. It's all God. And he wants to use every single one of us in so many ways in this life. It's all God. Remember that. I want to just look back here and, and celebrate a little bit. Um, we have come through uh, having had the first three-week series in our 9 o'clock classes, the 9, and um, have accomplished those, and I just want to celebrate. I just want to say that was a, a fantastic time. We had three different options going for people, and I watched as, as significant groups of people here walked through these different classes and enjoyed what was offered there and grew through it. And, and I just want to thank you for coming out to those. Um, a lot more people here at the 9 than we've had in the past and that is exciting um, our, our goal here is to give you further opportunities to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ on Sunday mornings we understand that life is busy we understand that it's tough to add another thing to your schedule and so this was a response to Sundays and saying listen you're going to be here come a little earlier and take that opportunity to get more of God in your life, to focus more on the things that God wants to fill our minds with every day through the week. We want to make sure that those opportunities are, are available. And, and we understand that even Sundays sometimes are, are going to get tough. Some Sundays get taken up by different things. And sometimes they're really good things. We look back at the last three Sundays, and a couple Sundays ago, we had a, a large group of men up at a men's retreat, up at Trout Lake Camp, and, and just how much that meant to every one of us that was there, and, and, and it was okay that they weren't here in church on Sunday. I get that. 
Then last week, there was a, a walk for, for multiple myeloma and, and to, to raise awareness and, and, and support for research for that. And, and as you know, there are people in this church that are suffering with that. And so we had a group of people involved in that walk who weren't here. And, and now this morning, um, the, the Twin Cities Marathon and all the people that are involved in running for, for the sake of, of raising funds for the Morrisons and all that they're going through with Tracy's cancer struggle and all that kind of stuff, we... We understand that, but we do want to make available on Sunday mornings a broader opportunity for all of us to grow in our, in our faith, in our relationship with Christ, and, and to grow in other ways as well. And we had a lot of fun this morning um, with the group that was here at the nine. We did a, a connecting time, a time for, for people to enjoy a little bit of time of worship together. We got to do worship out in the lobby. That was a whole different thing than doing worship in here. It was great. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, we got to spend some time getting to know each other a little bit. Scott did, did this ridiculous game with us. We had name tags with animals on them, and, and we had to, to find the other animals, the same animals in the room. And he talked about the animals on Noah's Ark, and then it got really awkward. He talking about your partner and that kind of stuff. So as you know, Scott makes it weird. And he did this morning. He did a great job of making it weird. Um, but we had a really fun time together, and there's an opportunity for us to just connect. Just get to know each other a little bit better. Just take out, as he said at the beginning, just take out that awkwardness of not knowing the name of that person that you've seen a whole bunch of times. So he put name tags on us. And we're done with that then. Everybody got over that. And um, just moving us further and further in our relationship as a church, in how we relate to each other. So these are great, great opportunities. And coming up, um, we have some, some fantastic things available for you for the next three weeks. Um, we have Dr. John Mayer coming back um, to spend a few weeks with us. And um, how many of you were here when he preached here and uh, talked about our city, talked about what God's doing here, how God has brought the nations to us? So John's going to take things um, deeper for the next three weeks at the nine. He's going to talk about the kingdom. He's going to talk about the reality that in the Bible, the church is mentioned three times. The kingdom is mentioned over a hundred times. He wants to break that down with us and talk about what that really means. And this is important. We use this term a lot. Only we mention the kingdom. We talk about God's kingdom coming. May your kingdom come and your will be done. We sing, build your kingdom here. How well do we understand what that really means? What are we talking about? What is the kingdom? Is it just the church? Is there something more to the kingdom? Looking back at the summer and the series that we went through with, uh, previous to the summer with the Sermon on the Mount, the time that we spent in the Sermon on the Mount, how many times did Jesus mention the kingdom? He kept talking about the kingdom. There's something that we need to understand and be very familiar with because we are part of God's kingdom. And we are part of God bringing his kingdom to earth. And so for the next three weeks, John's going to be here in this room and he's going to walk us through what that really means. What is the kingdom? What is the biblical perspective, definition of the kingdom? And then one of the other things that we're going to offer for the next few weeks is an opportunity for uh, whoever wants to, to come and go through the foundational classes for our church that we call First Steps. And this gives us a look at um, what it is that we believe. We'll talk about our statement of faith. And you get to look at that and break it down. And, and our chairman elder is going to lead us through that conversation. And then we're going to look at our values, growing in Christ, living in love and impacting the world. 
And you'll have an opportunity there to really, truly understand what is it you're a part of? What's important to us? Because believe me, you're going to be asked those questions. This is something that's important to us. And the more we let that be known in the lives of the people around us that, hey, this is really important to us, the more those questions are going to come. So what do you guys believe in? And we want to make statements about what we believe in that are positive statements. We believe in these values. We believe in this statement of faith. Faith, this is who we are. Because more often than not, the conversations we get in in this world have almost everything to do with what we don't believe, right? What we're against. There's so much more to the Christian faith than the things that we're against. What are we for? What's important to us? And this is an opportunity. And these are classes that we offer spread out through the year. Well, in response to a lot of feedback that we've gotten for the First Steps classes, we have condensed them down into three Sunday mornings at the nine. So take advantage of that. This will get you on the path to becoming a member in this church, which is really important to us to take on that ownership of this ministry. To, to very clearly and deliberately associate yourself with Chapel Hill Church. This is, this is my church family. This is where I belong. And I support this church and what it believes. So come. You've got a couple of great options over the next few weeks. Really good options. Come and be a part of that. Uh, take advantage of the opportunity to get to know more about this church, to get to know more about the kingdom. If you've already been through these classes or you're a member of this church already, great opportunities over the next few weeks here. And I would really encourage you to be a part of that and expand that connection that you have with God and with each other on a Sunday morning. I'm very excited about what's coming up. Open your Bibles and turn to First Peter again. First Peter. Once again, we are in a series that we're calling The Light. And God is taking us on this journey through the book of 1 Peter. And as we go through 1 Peter, we're going to discover a lot of what God has to say to us when it comes to us being the light of the world, as Jesus called us, the identity that he gave us. 1 Peter chapter 1, let's read the first five verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. We went through that greeting last week. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that sermon, go and find it on our website. That's there. We broke down those two verses, and there's so much there. Then Peter writes this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance That is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be be revealed in the last time. This morning we're going to focus on verses 3, 4, and 5 in this opening of the book of 1 Peter. What is he saying in here? So the first statement that Peter makes in this next section, in these three verses, is simply this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, why did he say that? Why is this there? What is Peter getting at? Uh, it's very interesting when you, when you look at this. Blessed is one of those words that's, that's kind of touchy-feely, kind of this warm, fuzzy word that's out there that we use a lot, right? We sing it a lot. And I want us to, to really understand it. And it's kind of tough because we sort of we sort of get what it means. I think I sort of got what it means um, this week as I was was studying and, and looking at this. Uh, when I looked at the the Greek root of the word blessed and and looked into really what it means, I was a little alarmed by one of the words that they use in there because they'll give synonyms in a Greek lexicon when you, you're studying it. And the first one that they gave was not a word I was super comfortable with. It's the word adorable. Seriously, so this is what we're working with, right? Is okay. So, so God's like a puppy, and we we gotta we use the word adorable in a really different way. I think here in this culture, right? We know what's adorable. I say the word adorable, and your little kid comes to mind, or your new puppy, or something like that, right? We use it for those kinds of things fact of the matter is god is adorable in the deepest truest sense of the word god and god alone is worthy of this level of adoration it's god and so when we say blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ we're saying god you are worthy of our adoration Keep that in mind. Worthy of our adoration. The word adorable does belong in there, but maybe not in the sense that we use it. Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to be a phrase that is on our lips all the time. Blessed be God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and us. And us. He is our Father. He is our God. And praise for him ought to be on our lips all of the time. And this is going to be our statement this morning. This is our declaration this morning. This is our doxology this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll come back to it at the end because we're about to find out why Peter says this in this letter, why he starts this way. So he moves on to his next statement here, which is simply this. He says, according to his great mercy, according to God's great mercy. So let's make sure we understand mercy well. God has had mercy on us. He has mercy on us. He has compassion towards us. We talk a lot about grace and mercy. Mercy and grace. There is a difference between the two. Mercy has to do with God's response to our condition. To the condition that we find ourselves in as a result of living in a fallen world and being born with a sinful nature. God has compassion towards that Grace has more to do with God's response to our guilt. He took care of that for us. But his initial response is one of mercy. He responds to our condition. Mercy means active pity. He moves. He takes action regarding our pitiful state. 
And keep in mind, none of us were born outside of this pitiful state. We were all born with sinful natures. We were all in need of God's great mercy. And in that great mercy, he moved towards us. God is moved by our condition. And we're going to talk about that condition. And as we talk about that condition, I want you to be looking this morning for the word hope. Because that's what God brings into our condition. He brings hope. And we're going to talk a lot this morning about what that is. Why does God have great mercy towards us? It's because he loves us. Deeply, sincerely, wholeheartedly, unconditionally, he loves us. And he was moved by our condition. In his great, move, in his great mercy, he took a step towards us to address that condition So be looking for that. Then the very next thing that Peter writes is this. He, God, has caused us to be born again. He has caused us to be born again. So this takes us back to last week when we talked about God's foreknowledge. Okay? We talked a little bit about God knowing us and 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 what that meant and and that it was much more than just this idea that that god knew that we were going to make this decision to follow christ long before we were even born it's not just that he could see into the future it's that he chose us that god chose us from before time and and we have to understand that foreknowledge and there's one piece that i want to add to this Um, when we talk about to foreknow something the, the phrase to know is used often in the Bible. But it is not an intellectual phrase. To know is used often in terms of a husband and wife. In fact, in the Bible, it's used many times in the context of consummation of marriage. It's used in a sexual context. It's used in an, in, in an intimate context. This is the know that's often referred to in the Bible. And so when we talk about God's foreknowledge, about God knowing us, this is a little more than just him knowing what we're going to do. God knew us from long before the beginning of time. He didn't just intellectually know that we were going to make this right decision. He knew us in an intimate, loving way. That's God's foreknowledge. And so even when this was being written in in Bible times, they had a different understanding of this term, to know. It was different than the way we use it in such a, a cold intellectual way. There was a real relational context to it. We have to keep that in mind when we're looking at things like foreknowledge. It is a little bit more than just a bit of information that he had ahead of time. God knew us. How does that come out? I want to read um, part of Psalm 139 to you this morning. I want you to just listen. Um, Many of you are familiar with Psalm 139. It's such a beautiful psalm. But it talks very clearly about how God knows us, how God knew us. Listen to Psalm 139, first 16 verses. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. 
You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Does our Father know us? Yeah, he knows us. He knows us so well. And from the start, from far before when you and I were born, God chose us and accepted us and loved us. And in his mercy, he responded to our condition. It is a beautiful thing that we have been known by our Father forever. A beautiful thing. And it says that, that he caused us to be born again. He caused us to be born again. He caused us to be regenerated. And Jesus made this statement to a guy named Nicodemus who, who was asking about faith. And, and Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus made it very clear that we need to be born again. And Jesus came and offered this new life. A life that we can be born again to an abundant life. Remember when he promised that? I came that they may have life and life to the full. Abundant life. That's the life that Jesus is offering us. This new life. This new birth into something brand new for us. A new life. So then Peter writes this phrase about this life. He says that we've been born again to what? We've been born again to a living hope. To a living hope. We've been born again to a living hope. Hope comes from this Greek word, elpis, and it means positive anticipation. Positive anticipation, but not towards something that we can't count on. It's an expectation, it's a confident, positive expectation of something that's going to happen. And so we have this positive anticipation, but it's for something that is guaranteed to happen. Romans chapter 8. I love how Paul spells this out uh, in, in a very similar way to what Peter does. And I want to just read this for you too. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. Look for the similarities regarding hope in the way that Paul writes and the way that Peter writes. Listen to this. Paul writes, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing 
of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And I love the similarity between what Paul expresses about hope and what Peter expresses about hope. That was Romans 8, 18 to 25. Uh, There's just this beautiful comparison there. And I want to talk about this hope for a few minutes. You know, Peter's going to say later in this book, in 1 Peter 3, 15, he's going to tell us, he's going to tell the churches, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Always be ready to give an answer for your hope. Why? Because as people around us see the hope that we have, and we begin to communicate that hope with them, They're going to want to know where it comes from. And we are going to have the opportunity over and over again as we shine our light in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, wherever we are, we are going to have the opportunity to give an answer for the hope that we have. So let's talk about this hope because this is not earthly hope that Peter's talking about. This living hope that he writes about is not earthly hope we hope for a lot of things in our lives we hope that our situation in life will improve that things get better for us we hope that we get a raise at work and that we'll have more money to make ends meet we hope sometimes that we're going to make it at the end of the month we hope for our health we hope that we're going to stay healthy and sometimes that doesn't work out dealing with this myself right now i've been with three different doctors in the last couple weeks probably about eight appointments total it's driving me crazy i have my diabetes under control but i have this thing that most likely came on when my diabetes spiked a year ago or whatever it was called neuropathy it's not fun it's a nervous disorder i have it in my feet and my feet are screaming at me that they're in tremendous pain And there's no real reason for this other than the fact that the nerves have their message messed up. And so I've been trying to figure out, okay, what what can happen with this? How do I do this? Because right now, I had hope that at this point in my life, I'd be very active and be able to really enjoy being out playing soccer with my boys and all that kind of stuff. Right now, I can walk for about five minutes and that's it. My feet hurt so bad. That's not what I hoped for. That is not part of what I had drawn up in my hopes and dreams for my future. I have to figure out what this is for. In x-rays, they thought there might be a fracture in my right foot. So I went and got a CT scan. No fracture. We're still stuck with trying to figure out what is it that in my right foot especially is creating this enormous pain. And it looks like it's something beyond just the neuropathy, which I have in both feet. But now there's something else going on in my right foot. And I'm trying to figure this out. It's frustrating. It's aggravating. This is not what I hoped for. 
We have hope for all kinds of things. We have hope for our aging parents. We have hope that we're going to have this great relationship with them right up until the very end and that they're just going to pass peacefully in their sleep when it's time for them to pass. But Alzheimer's sets in. And all that changes. That hope is gone. And suddenly your parents are saying things to you that hurt because of this disease that's taken over. Sometimes it's the hope that we have for our health and then cancer shows up and, well, there goes that hope. And things change. We have this hope all the time. We just, we were wired, we were created to hope for something. But we put hope in all of these earthly things. And let's be honest, there is nothing, there is nothing in this world that can deliver. Nothing in this world that we hope for that can truly deliver on that hope. We can't predict what's going to happen. We can hope that it's happened. And we're told by Disney, hold on to your hopes and dreams and they'll come true, right? No. It doesn't happen that way. There is nothing in this world that we can put our hope in that is going to deliver on that hope. We cannot confidently anticipate that things are going to be a certain way. There are no guarantees on this earth. None. And that's hard. That's our condition. And that's where God's mercy comes into play. Because he recognized That there's nothing in this world that we can be certain about. Absolutely nothing. And into our lives, he brings living hope. He brings the only thing that we can be certain of. The only thing that we can anticipate positively with confidence and folks, as we look around us in our neighborhoods and in our worlds, and we're looking at people that are, that are looking day in, day out at, for hope in things of this earth, understand that God wants us to have mercy on them and to move towards them and address their condition because we have found this living hope that Peter writes about. We have it. We forget sometimes that we're the only ones that have it. And that so many people around us are looking to to find hope in earthly things that they absolutely cannot count on. There's no certainty there. There is full certainty in the living hope that God has given us through Jesus Christ. And so Peter says... That we have this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the next thing he says in this passage. This hope comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now how well did Peter understand this? He hoped in Jesus as one of Jesus' disciples. He hoped in Jesus. But so much of his hope was wrapped up in his own earthly perspective. And he blew it and Jesus died and was buried. What happened to Peter's earthly hope? Gone. And then Peter got to see and touch 
and talk to the risen Jesus. And Jesus brought to Peter a living hope that came through the fact that Jesus conquered death, period. And so this hope comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Peter's relief and joy over this discovery, over this living hope that came through Jesus' resurrection is all over the book of 1 Peter. You can't miss it. If there is a theme for 1 for Peter, it's hope. One of the commentaries that I'm reading is even entitled, Be Hopeful. It's a study of 1 Peter. Be Hopeful. Because Peter understands fully this living hope that came through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You will not miss it. Now Peter talks about this hope and he says that we've, been, we, we've re- attained this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, a hope to a living, a, a resurrection to a living hope, new birth to a living hope, and birth, new birth to an inheritance. To an inheritance that is ours, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and is kept in heaven for us. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We've got to talk about this inheritance because in the passage that we're looking at today, there are some things that are made very clear about this inheritance that Peter writes about. Where does it come from? Who's the source of this inheritance? It's God. Remember that fact that God is the source of our inheritance. God is our father. He's your father. He's my father. Where's our inheritance going to come from? Not from my dad down in Oklahoma. I can't count on that one. My inheritance comes from my father. The motive behind this inheritance, behind God giving us this inheritance, God's mercy Peter already touched on that. In his great mercy, he has given us this inheritance. And the the magnitude of this inheritance is a reflection of the depth of God's mercy, his compassion towards us. Peter mentions in in the last part of verse 3 that our inheritance comes through rebirth. We don't die and give away our inheritance to someone else. We die and receive an inheritance from God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our inheritance is unchangeable. It is not subject to tax laws. The government's not going to take out part of that that we inherit. It is unchangeable. And our inheritance is perfectly Secure. You'll see that in the last part of verse 4 and verse 5. And Peter describes this inheritance this way. He says it's imperishable. Imperishable. It is incorruptible. It is enduring. It is not subject to destruction at all. It is not vulnerable in any way, shape, or form. It is imperishable. And then he says it is undefiled, it is unstained, it is pure, it is sincere, it is the real thing, and there is nothing flawed about this inheritance at all. It is undefiled. And then he says it's unfading. Again, he's talking about it being enduring. It's perpetual. It will never lose its magnificence. It will never lose its value. 
It is unfading. This inheritance, my inheritance, your inheritance is perfect. It's secure. It is untouchable. And then he talks about us. It's kept for us. He says it is kept for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We are being guarded, brothers and sisters. And who's guarding us? God is. So what in the world do we have to worry about? We are being guarded for this inheritance. And it's God by his power that is doing that guarding. Nothing can threaten us. Peter says that it's through faith. This is relational. This is relational. And guarding us through faith means that God is asking us to stay close to him. Um, having Jordan up here a little while ago talking about the No Longer Music Tour, it just, uh, as I was thinking about this, it just brought back to mind a, a particular spot in the, the production that No Longer Music does, in the, the show that they do. Um, it's, it's graphic, it's powerful, it is direct. You cannot miss the point. And there's one point in the show where, where David Pierce is, is playing the character, the role of Jesus, and, and there's a, a young woman who has been abused, and, and the character of Christ is weeping over the, the hurt that this young woman has experienced. And it moves me every time. It's obviously it's moving me right now. And David's in David's role, he says, How can I protect you if you keep running away? It's this deep picture of this this faith, this relationship that God wants us to be in with him. He wants us to be close because there he can guard us. Peter writes that the completion of our salvation is ready. It's ready to be revealed. It's ready to be revealed when Jesus returns. How beautiful is that? It's ready. The completion of our salvation which is not just a one-time decision that you made when you were four. The completion of our salvation is ready and waiting for us. And when Jesus returns, we will reach the completion of our salvation and receive our new bodies, our new and perfect identity, and we'll have it forever. And it's ready for us. That is so beautiful. Go back to First Peter again. I want to read verses 3 to 5 again as we wrap things up. Verse 3, start, we're starting after that first exclamation. We're going to get to that in just a second. Peter writes, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So, so, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
If you back up just into the few verses that Peter's already spoken, this is how blessed we are by God in his mercy. In verse 2, he talks about the fact that God chose us, that the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us every day, and that his son Jesus died for us, and we've been sprinkled with his blood. Verse 3 talks about how God is merciful. He caused us to be born again, and Jesus is alive, bringing us this new life. In verse 4, he talks about our inheritance, which is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. In verse 5, he talks about the fact that we're being guarded by God's power through faith. And we have our complete salvation waiting for us. It's ready to go. There's a surprise bigger than any surprise you've ever received waiting for you when Christ returns. Okay, whatever. Talk about the need for praise. Talk about the need for the statement, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you missed it, there's an exclamation point at the end of Peter's text. And that means something. So say this with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, please put an exclamation on it when you say it this time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we have a reason for praise to be on our lips all the time? Yes! Yes! Yes, we do. And it ought to be the first and last statement that we make every day of our lives. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to transition now into a time of communion. Of sharing the bread and the cup together. And what a beautiful thing it is to be able to do this. We talked last week about the sprinkling of the blood. We talked about the fact that the sprinkling of the blood had to do with covenant. It had to do with God revealing his will, will, sprinkling of half the blood, and God's people responding in obedience to God's will. The other half of the blood being sprinkled on the people. And in a very figurative but beautiful way, the blood of Jesus Christ has been sprinkled on you and me. Because it was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. That is praiseworthy. That should drive us to say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I want you to, as you come to communion this morning, I want you to think that you're at, you're at summer camp. You're at, at a Christian camp. And this is rededication time. Why? Because when we come and do this together... We are recommitting to the covenant that God has made with us and we have made with him. The covenant that came through the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ on us so that we could be forgiven and enter into God's presence clean, pure, washed. When you come this morning to partake of the bread which which represents the body of Jesus Christ and the blood that represents the blood of Jesus Christ, Come with a statement in your mind, a statement that says, I am recommitting myself to this covenant that God has made with me and that I've made with him. 
This is a monthly reminder that we do here, and I hope you're doing it other times too. We should be. But this is a monthly reminder of the covenant that exists between God and the great mercy that he's poured out on us and us, our response to the mercy that he's poured out on us through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, through the living hope that we've been given. Come with that, with that renewal, with that refreshing of this covenant in your mind this morning. I'm going to have the elders come and prepare to serve and the worship team come now to uh, lead us in a few songs as we enter into this time of praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Oh, Father, you and you alone are worthy of our adoration. You are the one that we can put our living hope in. You are the only one that can deliver on the hope that you've created in us. You're it. And we declare that this morning. God, open our eyes to see that all of this wishful thinking, this shallow earthly hope that we put in our circumstances and in our resources, in our relationships, in the people in our lives, even in our own lives, cannot deliver. It cannot deliver the hope that comes through you. The hope that we have in new life. The hope that we have in the resurrection. The hope that we have in the inheritance that is being kept for us. The hope that we have in the fact that you're, you're guarding us for that inheritance. These are the things. These are the things that we can count on. These are the things that we can anticipate with confidence. Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. For his body that was given for us. For his obedience to the point of death. And for the blood that he shed. So that we could be forgiven. And stand before you. With this living hope. That we are yours. That you are our God. And our father. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that you've done for us. We come now in a spirit of renewal, in a spirit of recommitment to this beautiful covenant that you have made with us. Thank you so much. We love you for this covenant. We love you for who you are, for your love, for your mercy, for your grace. We love you for giving us your son to save us. We pray this in his name. In the name of the risen Savior, in the name of Jesus Christ.